0: Good morning for Northeast by Midwest. You guessed it, it's Jonathan Jones, but it's not just me today. Who am I here with? Troy Ancona. Oh yes, my good friend. He was so kind today. Bought us Dunkin' Donuts coffee, so we're both going to be sipping on that a little bit. And we may, we cannot confirm but will not deny that there may have been a couple of sausage sandwiches that were also devoured. Very possibly. Very possibly. They didn't last long. (laughs) They didn't. And for those of you that are from Maine, do you know where I got sausage sandwiches? Must be Rusty's. Yeah, it's got them from Rusty's. I mean, seriously, their food's amazing. Yeah. I, really. Yeah. It's a local I like gas Rusty's. station. We like Rusty's. So Dunkin' Donuts and Rusty's, that's how we're rolling. But we're here today on General Joshua Chamberlain. Now, I'm trying to remember, I think this is our fifth or sixth installment. Wait, I've lost I've lost track, but it, yeah, roughly. It's either our fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth installment. So yeah. <laughs> I'll look back. Um, but uh, Troy, Mr. Ancona, as we know him here at the Christian Academy, uh, is going to kind of walk us through. If I understand it correctly, the college and seminary years. Yeah, um, and uh, we'll see so, how far we get. And we have some exciting news. In 2023, I learned that on Spotify for the thousands—well, it's more like the 50s—that listen to my podcast. But our our highest—you uh, don't do it for money or anything. Grossing, I guess it wouldn't be grossing, but it would be more our our highest attendance of people listening was. One of the Chamberlain uh, ones. from, And I think it was the one from we, which we did inside the museum. And that was cool. Yeah. So, yep. so just that was a, a fun one. Just I like to do shameless plugs. So, so shameless plug for the Pajebscott Historical Society.
1: In History Brun- Center.
0: History Center. Sorry. In Brunswick, Maine. I always know it across from General Chamberlain himself. The big. Is it a brass statue? I never even know what kind Bron- of. It's,
1: it's a bronze. It's bronze. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And uh, you can't miss it. Um you know Troy works there. It's it's awesome. I, I purchased a book when I was there, and and truthfully, you know I feel like I could spend like ten hours there. So oh, I yeah. got I got to plug it. You so sh- do I. You, you, you that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so do you. So so he works there. And and one more thing before he gets started, um, he is working on a book which was supposed to be published the last three or four years. Two years ago. Now, are you an editor for that book or?
1: Well, I mean, to be technical, it's it's something. It's a. It's something Chamberlain wrote that we are publishing. You're publishing, okay. And I am providing editorial notes and chapters. There's like a couple introductory chapters and conclusion chapters, but everything that's going on, it's made doing anything right now in the publishing world.
0: Yeah, well, when it comes out, I'm going to get it. I love history. I'm not quite the history buff that Mr. Ancona is, but um, if you're a history buff at all, you're going to want this book. And especially like... 1800 Civil War. So well, and especially
1: if you're homeschoolers. As a matter of fact, at one point yeah. the state uh, said that what we're publishing, every school kid should have to study. Awesome. And it was a speech he gave called Maine: Her Place in History. Hmm. So the book is going to be called Maine's Place in History.
2: Awesome.
1: Uh, and it's it's Chamberlain recounting from the 19th century perspective. 300 years of Maine history awesome I love so, it it's kind of fun
0: I love it all right so I'm gonna try to be uh short and sweet I might interject here and there but I'm gonna let uh, Troy kind of take us home so so where have we been and then why don't you take us to you know kind of the college and seminary years because we're really just kind of tracing General Chamberlain yeah. when he was just boy Chamberlain and then uh, we haven't even gotten to the Civil War yet we'll get nope. there eventually so yeah just kind of walk us through where we've been and where we're at well,
1: I mean, we did an introduction, which was kind of an overview on Chamberlain, just to kind of get an idea of what we'd be covering. And then we spent a lot, quite a bit of time talking about his home years in Brewer. Uh, he had, uh, and we, we just touched on it, he, he was the oldest. Uh, of. He had three brothers and a sister, mm-hmm. uh, younger. Uh, his birth name is Lawrence, not Joshua. Uh, he switched it at school. And we'll get into that uh in in college. he got the name Jack I don't know why uh but in any case uh he was Lawrence after Commodore Lawrence he had a brother Horace that was next oldest he had uh sister say as they called her or Sarah, and then they had brother John and Tom, which if anybody follows Gettysburg to the Civil War uh, watched uh you know the the mini there. Uh, Tom is the only one that anybody knows about and they don't know about the others, but he, so he had the three brothers, he had a very interesting boyhood. He was described as introverted. We talked about that. We talked about, you know, his grandfather had a shipyard that was burned in the war of 1812, Mm -hmm. which kind of, I won't say ruined the family, but they went from shipbuilding to farming after that. Mm Uh, and his father was into uh, farming and did some logging, and he was up in Saint Croix, up on the Canadian border for a while, uh, then came back to uh, the Brewer area. So we we kind of traced that part. And Chamberlain was always very—he uh, was a, as a boy, uh, we might have called him a dreamer. Mm. Uh, he, you know, he would sneak aboard ships and hang his hat on the mainmast, you mm. know, and he would dream of adventures and. Mm. So uh, as an adult, we'll see that changes, he, he that kind of morphs over into what we know. He was always very academic. As a matter of fact, it seems like most of his family was. Uh, as far as his brothers, they, they were very much like him, uh, except for Tom. Uh, and then we talked about fun boyhood adventures in the 19th century. He'd go into Indian camps
2: yeah,
1: uh, and and he, uh, Native American camps that were on the brewer's side of Brewer and Bangor. They would come into trade. And Bangor was a huge bustling city at that point. Mm. And the Native Americans would come into trade and, and Chamberlain would go into the camps and learn their stories, huh. which again gets to the, the dreamer. And he said he loved their stories, but he got tired of their English because their English was so bad <laughs> that he decided it was easier that he teach himself to speak the Native American language. And that's where we start getting into the academic years. Because he was really good at language, yeah. uh, and that was something that became very uh, obvious very quickly. He had a French Huguenot mother mm-hmm. uh, and he had an english father uh, It's not made very clear; the assumption is he probably had some idea of French before school, but he learned French in school and he uh you know any he, he was interested in music as a boy he would he would he loved to swim. Uh, I was just talking to somebody recently. One thing interesting is, considering where he goes, is he didn't like to hunt. Hmm. Now, if you go to the, that time period, that's unusual. Yeah, And he was actually compared to, and give credit, this comes from a new book that's been published on Chamberlain from author Ron White. Another man, Ulysses S. Grant, oh, yeah. said he, as a, as a young man or whatever, he'd only shot three animals in his lifetime. And he... Regretted each incident, hmm. and to think about where the, e, these men go and the times they are in. Yeah. So Chamberlain didn't didn't care to hunt, but he loved to walk in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he couldn't picture killing anything so beautiful that God had made.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: so he has a very different, especially for that. That yeah. would have been huge culture back in those days, hunting, especially in right. Brewer. Oh yeah, because uh, you know he was kind of on the frontier, if you will, of Maine yeah so. so, wow, and yeah. then he, he heads to college,
0: yeah and i guess I guess I didn't realize that, which what a what what a clash just you know, I know this jumps ahead, but when you think of someone who you're gonna be you know literally in charge of hundreds, if not thousands of men killing other people. And, you know, you don't want to kill anything God's created, but now you're face-to-face with an enemy who half of them are your friends, you know, so.
1: Well, it's something, and we we get to the warriors, maybe yeah. we'll revisit it, but it's, you know, someone said, well, that's a contradiction. Well, it is, uh, and, and that's where you have to kind of get into his thinking, yeah. and and a lot of it uh, goes back to his scriptural beliefs, uh, his beliefs
0: of country, uh, God and country, yeah. things like that, Um well, and I think the one thing I'll say, and then you can take us to the college and seminary years, is one of the things I appreciate about General Chamberlain, and, you know, I guess we could call him governor, too. There's a variety of different things, uh, but I was just calling him general because that's how I know him. Um, and a lot of people did. You know, I just think that we we live in a culture today, the information age, where everyone thinks they know everything, and... You know, I think wise old Solomon, you know, said there's nothing new under the sun. And so one of the things I am a firm believer is people like General Chamberlain were way smarter than, uh, than I'll ever be. And, and, and I think, uh, I'm not saying that anyone that lives today, but I think he's a good example that, I mean, you just talk of the languages this guy knew. Yep. There, you know, I know very few people in my own circle that know three or four languages and speak them fluently. There's a couple, only two or three that I can think of. Uh, I really only know one. Um, I know Biblical Greek, but I can't speak it. It's a dead language, you know. And I know a little bit of he, I know Hebrew, but I can't speak that. And so, when you just think about that, let's put to bed this myth in our culture that we're so smart and we're so amazing. Uh, we do have a lot of great things, but we stand on the shoulders of people like Joshua Chamberlain. Jennifer. Well,
1: and you touching this, and it's a good segue to the college years and academics because later in life, he would write he felt that their culture had slipped. <laughs> From well, from before him, Isn't that interesting? so you know it. it he, and there were, and when we get to that to that stage, I'll I'll leave it as a teaser. He felt that uh, as a whole, they weren't as informed as their predecessors. Mm-hmm. So you know, and he took he took learning pretty seriously, Absolutely. right to his his dying day, which we'll see. If mm-hmm. if anything, uh, and and this is why I think the college years and the seminary years are so important. Because if a- anything, one of his phrases that he once said that we'll get to later in his life, uh, he once told somebody, uh, I don't know how to do this, but what I don't know, I know how to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people, that would be an arrogant statement. But with Chamberlain, it absolutely was the fact. He yeah. was he was a student. He was always a student. And anybody that comes to the museum, I've got to the point now, I'd say, uh Put the rest. Yes, he was a soldier, but he was a student first. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matter of fact, somebody and I don't remember who said it. They said, you know, he's known scholar, soldier, statesman. Statesman. And the uh, and the phrase was, but the scholar came first. Yeah, huh. and that literally sets the stage for everything else that he does. That's so that's awesome. why these years are so important.
0: Yeah. So walk however you want to tackle this. How would you like to start with the college and seminary years? Well,
1: and jump right in. But I think it has to do in you being a dad and having a daughter that just went out to Word of Life. You can appreciate this. I can remember with Alexis going off uh, same thing, is he's preparing for college. They take a family trip.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, we think of that as a 21st century thing. Uh, The difference is, and they will kind of laugh about it, especially knowing Maine geography, their family trip was to what we now know as Baxter State Park. Oh, okay. They went to Katahdin.
0: Oh, did they really? Now,
1: it's not a state park in his day. If anything, it was remote wilderness, and they took the horses as far as they could go, and they left the horses, and I can't remember the town or the area. They left the horses... And then walked
0: two backs to Baxter State Park to Mount Katahdin. And did they climb Katahdin? And then they climbed Katahdin. No way. Do you happen to know which trail? Just out of curiosity. Well, the, I don't because there wasn't trails back then. I bet. So. I bet they did the Saddle Trail because that's the oldest. Of yeah, the you trails. would probably know yeah. better than
1: me because yeah. I've only I've only done a ball slide or whatever it's called. Yeah. But, wow, and, that's
0: cool. I did not know that.
1: Well, and this is kind of where you get and and, and you know I. You've got to be careful to saying it was because he was going to college, but it was a it was a trip they made before yeah. he went, yeah. and it was him, his father, and sure. a couple of other men. And I can't remember if any of his brothers were with him. And he and and this is where you got to kind of get into the the dreamer side of him. He makes a big deal as he's writing about it later in life that he climbed to the top of Katahdin. And I'm jokingly going to say Katahdin is not as tall as it used to be because of him. <laughs> and I'm joking. But he said yeah. he got to the peak and he chipped off a rock and he said how big it was. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't was like a pebble. It was decent size. He's off the peak. So maybe Katahdin isn't as tall as it used to be, yeah. uh, jokingly. But in any case, he... Uh, uh, Carried it back down with him. No way. And he brought it all the way back to Brewer. So this is a, a, you know, I call it the pre-college trip. I mean, I don't know what. Mm -hmm. There didn't seem to be a purpose for it. It was just an outing. They weren't hunting or anything. I mean, they may have hunted along the way. Uh, There was uh, the men with them. And then from there, uh, they went... Uh, kind of a circuit route uh, to to Bowden, and it seems like at some point they almost went down what would be kind of like a Route One okay. route. So they kind of came over and down.
0: So can I ask you a question? And you know, I don't want to get you too far off. here. Nope. But I don't. I don't know the answer to this. What was it that made him choose Bowden? And maybe you were getting to that, but I, I don't well,
1: know. Well, that- no. And, and actually, I don't know that he said he. Bowden was. Uh, you got to put yourself in the time period. Bowden's the only game in town. So if you're okay. going to college, it's Bowden. Uh, Bates and Colby weren't around, okay. Uh, So, and you didn't have University of Maine, and and actually, that's probably a good segue. I'm I'm not an expert on Bowdoin, but Bowdoin's 1790s. It's old. Uh, Bowdoin was, and jokingly, you you know about the whole controversy of Maine and Massachusetts. Uh, You know, uh, we love to hate Massachusetts, and uh, (laughs) Massachusetts had ordered uh, by the state legislature Bowdoin College to be opened. Oh, okay and and to give massachusetts credit and chamberlain does in this book that's coming out uh he, you know he 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 refers to massachusetts as jacob and maine as esau <laughs> and that maine had its birthright stolen by massachusetts <laughs> and so and that's just one of the little teases in this book that comes that is- out He's pretty funny how he looks at it but at the end of it he he states that massachusetts in some form, paid Bain back by what she did in helping to organize
0: okay.
1: for the bowl of porridge.
0: That <laughs>
1: and and he literally so yeah, and that's, that's how
0: that's hilarious. That's how he it. thinks
1: and talks. So in any case, Massachusetts, is Chamberlain using Chamberlain's words, basically Massachusetts okay. organized Maine. They okay. he gives them credit for the court systems, for the roads, infrastructure, yeah. uh, governmental. They helped get sure. established, and they were. Having the schools they did, they were concerned about education, and back in, in those days, now a lot of more religious schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, uh, and I get asked this a lot. It was not a church founded school; it was a state founded school. But mm-hmm. the Congregational Church in Brunswick played a huge, which it's now Unitarian. Yes, uh, the First Parish Church uh, that played a huge role. Okay. In 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 the college. Yes. Which we might get into that in later years. But okay. so that's kind of the background. So that was the only game in town. He would have had to have gone out of state. And Bowden would have had a reputation and early reputation because uh, class of eighteen twenty-five was- would have Longfellow and Nathaniel Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. And the class of eighteen twenty four had Franklin Pierce.
0: Now Longfellow that uh, name doesn't sound familiar, but I did hear the bells on Christmas Day. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, exactly. It, well, I heard the bell on Christmas so Day. It, Hiawatha. It had Longfellow it, and who else?
1: Hawthorne? Uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Wow. Uh House of the Seven Gables. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a big uh, Hawthorne fan. Uh, I've read a few Longfellow's stuff. Uh, so, I don't claim to know a lot about Hawthorne, but House of the Seven Gables comes to mind. Franklin Pierce, president. So, uh, and, and this will come back later in life, too, because Chamberlain is aware that they attended. So, Bowden has a, I think it's twofold. Yeah. He doesn't say, but if he's going to go to college, that's mm-hmm. where you go, you and uh, or be out of state. And two, they're developing a reputation. Okay. And Bowden is a school mm-hmm. that you go to. If you're going into ministry,
0: yes, right.
1: If you uh, uh, you would know the terminology, it's a pre seminary school. Yeah, so right. it's a yeah. You know, I don't want to say prep. I don't know what the term is, but uh, it, it sets the stage for yeah. seminary, which you'll do later. And uh, uh, pastors, lawyers would go to Bowdoin. Mm-hmm. Politicians, if you want political career,
0: yeah,
1: uh, they were modern term liberal arts.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> so yeah, okay, yeah, that's I, that was his
0: motivation. That's awesome. Okay, so so you brought him up to. He's coming down. Do, do his parents bring him to school then? His uh dad. Or? Yeah, I don't remember if his mother went. I want to say it was his father, or
1: but I he, I just remember it was a, it was I don't remember all the it was a sleigh ride. Uh, it was wintertime, or late, or late in the year, because he started oh. mid-semester. If I oh, okay. remember right, their semesters ran weird. They had the the fall semester and then a winter semester, or something like right. that. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, they they may have even had back then. We we had this when I first went to college. They had trimesters. And, and so I, I I feel like that, I, didn't, I don't know about in history, but I wonder if they had like a, a fall, because when I first started college, we were just getting away, a lot of the college, I think the, a lot of the state schools had gotten away from years ago, but a lot of like your small private schools, and I believe we had a trimester, and then we went to semesters. It was the most confusing thing in the world, but it's yep. kind of the way and it it's Very
1: possible. I just remembered uh, when I read it, because you know, it was so foreign to me, it was like, why are you starting the school? It's, he's literally, it, it would be like in, yeah. in the academy, a student starting in the third quarter. Right. And yeah. the, the second semester. Uh, but in any case, yeah, he, it was, I just remembered it was it was kind of a sleigh ride kind of a thing. But
2: Awesome.
1: So he, yeah, he came down, and, and really another thing we should say beyond the background of Bowdoin is uh, what he wanted to do. Okay. And this is where we get into the interesting things, because Chamberlain, anybody knows Chamberlain, he kind of comes across as... A man's man, he knows what he wants to do, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. He didn't. He didn't know. No, he was he was really uh indecisive. Okay. And he uh he's described as being that way. Matter of fact, he's described as being introverted hmm. uh when he went to Bowdoin. And he um his mother wanted the ministry and his father wanted a military career. His father, hmm. and and which that's gonna become interesting as the war opens up. Uh and Chamberlain didn't really know what he wanted. He really struggled with it. And he was I always say it's always when in doubt, lean on the side of the mother, uh, kind of a thing. And and he he did. So he was thinking the ministry when he came to Bowdoin, which would be perfect because before he would go to seminary, he would he would do his bachelor's at Bowdoin.
0: So let me ask you a question on that. You know, what, what what most people know of chamberlain is the gettysburg movie right. right and 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 i it's interesting you say that because whether it was how hollywood portrayed it or not you very much feel he's very pastoral in that and and so like in the different times you've given me um you know tours of the Pajev Scott historical society there historical center sorry yep. across from Bowdoin college you know he definitely comes across as a cross between presidential gubernatorial and and pastoral like there's definitely so it sounds like even though he didn't eventually we're giving away the farm here go that way um this is why we study these type things because it you know young years do become who we are and I, you know, it would have been interesting to see him as a pastor because I, in some ways I almost feel like he did become a pastor, but of a very different kind of a church. Well, I and mean, jokingly,
1: he talks about, I say jokingly, he talks about, he, he did give sermons in churches uh, yeah. on, when he was younger. I don't know about if he did when he was older, but, uh, and, and what I would say, and this is also a good segue for the college years, if you've seen the movie Gettysburg, I would say overall, I mean, as far as we can tell, Daniels, Jeff Daniels does a really good job. I think he captures the essence, and that's my – I get asked that all the time. And I would say, yeah, I'd give him definitely a solid B plus, A minus kind of a thing. And the two scenes I would say, and it relates to his college years, that I think capture his personality. And what he's going to experience at Bowdoin is as the battle begins, Colonel Strong Vincent says, hold to the last, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, and I won't save time. We won't go through the whole thing, watch the movie. But uh, Vincent, now we'll see how professors fight. And he kind of slaps his hand, and he walks off with well, Chamberlain very dramatically. And we don't know that this happened, but Chamberlain very dramatically, or Daniels, hold to the last, hold to the last, what, right, the last man, the last reb, the yeah. last foot of ground, yeah, or, or, or in, in some order. I may have reversed the order. Chamberlain thought that way, and yeah. that's rhetoric, yeah, and exercise in rhetoric. He he would love, he would learn to love rhetoric when he went to Bowdoin College. Mm-hmm. So that one scene, the other scene I think that does a really good job at capturing who he is in the movie is in the third day, General Hancock. And we don't know, he was near Hancock, we don't even know they he ever talked to him. But they have them meet and, and they're going through the whole scene that Hancock has a good friend of his that's fighting on the other side, uh, General Armistead, and they were really close friends. Yeah. And there's a whole moving story there that, uh, chase it down if anybody's interested, the movie alludes to. Well, Hancock looks at Chamberlain and he says, you know, uh, he describes his situation, you know, and he says, you know, alluding to Chamberlain's academics, is there ever a situation in which two opposing friends meet on a field of battle, you know, as commanders? And Chamberlain, and, you know, uh, I don't know if I totally agree with his answer, but uh, I like what they did. Chamberlain's response was something along the lines if it wasn 't the Greeks, it was the Romans, and certainly it can be found in scripture
0: right
1: well i, I won 't analyze the answer except that again that 's alluding to he was a professor uh, who and this comes from his college years who deeply knew ancient history, oh yeah, so he was well aware we 'll see this as we go through his life, Roman and Greek history. In biblical history,
0: and you can see this when he talks. So, and this is
1: all Bowdoin. So,
0: no, I love that. As you're saying that, I'm thinking of the different lines from the movie. Yes. You know, I've only seen Gettysburg like 61 times, and I'm going to watch it another 60 because it's one of the. Probably the top three movies of all time. If you haven't seen Gettysburg, you need to stop listening to the podcast and go home and watch it. Yeah, Fair
1: enough. yeah. Well, no, don't stop. Don't stop the podcast. So do it after the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, well, and seriously, I would say those are two of my favorite lines. So yeah. think of them next time you watch it. Because they're not historically perfect,
0: but we do have a Counselor Chamberlain that thinks this way. Oh, absolutely. And so
1: they do capture his personality.
0: And and you also need to go to his home, which is, let's see if I can get it right this time, the Pajepska Historical Center. History Center. History, History Center. They
1: changed their name, which makes it confusing.
0: The Pajepska Historical History Center. And it's they're just his, Pajepska History H- Center. Pajepska History Center. Boy, yeah. say that five times fast. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, there, there's some publicity for them. So you need to go... Uh, I'm sure, uh, my good brother here, Troy, would be happy to take you through. There's other docents there as well. And, and there's nothing like being there and feeling, you know, I, I know you're there a lot, but I mean, just at the time I was there, it was, it was a real joy. So, yep. so walk us through now, now he's at college. So what kind of things do you want to drill in that we can understand? Well, about? we'll kind of skip through a couple stories. I mean, we don't want to spend three podcasts on his
1: college years, but, uh, he, uh, he he, early on, it, it's kind of funny, he has communication with his pastor. And we talked about this, I yes. don't know if you remember, a while yep. ago.
2: Yeah.
1: And he was uh, he was struggling about keeping strong in his faith kind of a thing. And he was, I, I always thought it was touching that he was writing to his pastor. Yeah. Because uh, now, the other thing you should realize, he's 20. Right. So we'll, this is one of the few times we have a, a concrete age <laughs> mm-hmm. He, he writes a lot and he's guilty of not telling his age. So he'll talk about doing things as a boy. And I remember you asking me how old he was. I don't have a not clue because he didn't right, say. Right. But he's 20 and you got to realize I, I'm not uh, – Longfellow was like, don't quote me, 15 or 16. He was young. Mm-hmm. So in other words, these are different times. He's kind of – I don't want to say an old man, but he's old for college.
0: Well, would it be kind of like uh, us going to college when we're 26 or 28? Yeah. Something like that. Okay. And, and it
1: was, and a lot of people today can relate to this. And this is why Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. He went late because he had to earn his way. Mm-hmm. His yeah. parents couldn't afford to send him totally. So he was working mm-hmm. to get to Bowdoin. Uh, and he, uh, which. Uh, I don't know. We don't do this, but they, he he taught a Sunday school class, and apparently yeah. he got paid for it. <laughs> uh, and he did some academic teaching at a school. Uh, and I'm trying to remember uh, some other things he did, but he was doing odd jobs. Mm-hmm. So he comes to Bowden. He early his transition. He's trying to find himself. He's introverted. And he comes. To, they start calling him Jack. Mm. I have no clue where that comes from. His name is Lawrence. It's at Bowden. He switches it, mm. and he goes by Joshua. Which his father is Joshua, uh, and his grandfather is Joshua. So that adds to some confusion to the whole mythology of his name. Mm. But and he very quickly settles in. He he jokes. I say jokes. Uh, he felt he did. He was strong in pretty much everything except math. Mm. So the guy's not perfect. He never claimed to walk on water. Sure. I don't know what his grades were. He said math was not, you know, not his favorite. <coughs> but. He had. uh, I'm a baseball fan, and I don't know if this applies to football, but there's a whole thing about the sophomore jinx.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, uh, baseball. Fred Lynn won the rookie of the year, and then you come back here next year, and you don't do as well because everybody's their pitchers are keying on you. Yeah, Uh, he he did very well his freshman year, uh, but his sophomore year, he had what I would call the sophomore jinx. Now, I think my opinion again, it's not like he talks grades. I think he was doing well, but he struggled, mm-hmm. and partially he struggled because he's getting more into uh, the meat of what he's going to learn. I think he did a lot of what we would say Gen Ed stuff his freshman year. Yeah. Well, his sophomore year, he's getting into language. He language is foreign language. He he would have been he would have doing probably Latin and Greek. Uh, I can't remember if he was being introduced to any of the Romance languages, but Latin and Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would have been doing rhetoric and oratory. Okay. And Chamberlain, what a lot of people don't know, had a stutter or a stammer.
2: Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah.
1: I don't yeah. know if I knew that. And he uh, he was greatly, uh, I'm interjecting my thoughts here, by the way he writes about it, embarrassed. As he put it, and he's kind of humorous the way he says it, is he had learned to be the master of the synonym. (laughs) Okay. So, if you were, if he were at church and you were a pastor, and I don't know that he did this, but if his pastor were to call him up or somebody were to call him up and ask him to recite something, he says he could substitute a word, you wouldn't catch him.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Now, you know there's always he's writing this later in life and I don't know you know I don't know if there's a little bit of idealism in here but basically that's how he portrays it and it's interesting because as we chase his life we will learn on the battlefield he became known as being very quick to process yeah. so he's got one of those minds yeah. and it's possible that if he's relaying this account right that he began this as a boy because he began with and that's how he he uh got around his his stammer which was, he literally says, in, in a book he wrote, uh, which is now known as Blessed Boyhood, the offending syllables, as he puts it P's, B's, yeah. D's, S's, pretty much what we would so know. So he would
0: just on the fly think of another word that you would yeah. use. Yeah.
1: So again, this, uh, uh, there's pro- at least a good vein of truth in this. Yeah. And what this does tell you is an average boy can't do this. Uh, this is an academic, this is a boy who's read. Mm-hmm. So he has a vocabulary, uh, he understands words, things like that. But his sophomore year, you say, well, what's the problem? He's doing Latin. He's doing Greek. Oh, yeah. So if the professor says recite, and I don't know that they did this, but I do know they studied Roman historians because he talks about it. But if his professor were to say, cite this portion of Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, he couldn't do it in the original. Get up in Latin and say this. He can't do this because you can't. And you, you doing languages. You can't substitute language when you're reciting an ancient right, text. Yeah, you have to say the word. Right. So he was embarrassed because he struggled in rhetoric, in oratory, mm-hmm. or in or in this case, it would be the oratory because that would have been handled.
0: So separate. one of the things that I think of, you know, because I know we usually do this in a little bit here towards the end is give a few things that you know, we can learn from our life. And so the, the one thing that already stands out to me about Chamberlain is something I always say uh, to people, which is, for those of us that are Christians, fall in love with some old dead people in the Bible. Yep. And not in a weird sense, but in a sense where find someone, you know, David, Abraham, whatever. Ultimately, the Bible's all, always about Jesus. But the reality is, you know, we need people that are fallen like us. And so I immediately thought of Moses. Because yep. Moses had a stutter. Correct. And so yep. with his knowledge of the And that was an
1: excuse he gave.
0: Yeah, and with his knowledge of the scriptures, I would imagine that at some point, I don't know this, but I, I would be curious if Chamberlain ever kind of drew a line to Moses and some of the... And, and, you know, now that you think about all he had to do on the battlefield, there's probably a lot of similarities. Um, so
1: anyway, that's... Uh, yeah. So he, he struggles, uh, you know, with rhetoric and oratory, uh, and he talks about being an embarrassment. Uh, he, I'm trying to think in his sophomore year, uh, if there's anything else that kind of jumps out, he, um, uh, this is where the country boy meets the city, so to speak. Okay. And we don't think of Brunswick. We would look at Brunswick even in his days being quite rural, but Brunswick was pretty big and he was introduced to the Bowdoin chapel. Oh, okay. So, and, and this is one of his big, uh, impressions. So this is kind of backing up to his freshman year, but uh, if you haven't had an opportunity, and I don't even know if you have, get into the Bowdoin Chapel. It's a mini Sistine, uh, Sistine Chapel.
2: Okay.
1: There's biblical scenes painted on the ceiling. Huge, oh, okay. massive. Oh, wow. okay. uh, they just did a restoration. When I was down at, uh, down east, I uh, managed the paint department, and I had to work with the guy that was curating that. Oh, wow. Uh, they had hired a man, and he also works at the Chamberlain Museum. We're really good friends. We go out to eat every now and then. And uh, in any case... He I forget how he puts it, but he makes this he felt like he was in Rome. That was the way he put it. And and this will come back later in life. Because he walked he's a country boy with a little congregational church up in he was a congregationalist, mm-hmm. little congregational church up in Brewer, and I can't imagine you can envision, you've seen Maine country churches, mm-hmm. New England country churches, and now he's in this edifice that is big and concrete and it's got vaulted ceilings and it's got these biblical scenes all the way around it in genesis just like and he it really struck him and he was he was the city mouse he was the country mouse visiting the city mouse and so you've got you've got that part you've got his struggle with math you've got uh his struggle with rhetoric and oratory uh, his sophomore year he said was was quite challenging, and he also references that in oratory he wrote something and uh, he doesn 't say what it was on and the professor wrote something this is a little nod to teachers uh, and how teachers can motivate people the teach The teacher wrote something in the the side of his paper wrote little comments I just had Main state, and I told him to do it double-spaced, okay, and they get downgraded if they didn't, okay. because I want room to write little comments and notes. Yeah, right. Well, in it, his professor gave some criticisms of his oratory, and it made the statement that you will become something of an orator if you can only keep your feet on the ground. <laughs> now, he really doesn't go into detail, but knowing what he talks about as a boy, he's a dreamer. Yeah. And I'm envisioning that whatever he was writing about, he was getting... Idealistic. Really idealistic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll give you a little clue. He never totally conquers that. Okay. He is an idealist. But he, he very briefly in Blessed Boyhood, he transitions. This hurt his feelings. He doesn't say it that way. But right. this bothered him. Mm-hmm. And it kind of upset him. Mm-hmm. But this is where you get to the character that's in its infancy. Yeah. Because he said he came to the conclusion, basically, in my words, he was going to prove his professor wrong. Yeah. So he he is the one, and this goes back, and this you'd have to listen to an earlier podcast, of the wagon stuck in the field that, his, that he looked at his father and said, what, what do I do? And his father's only comment was, move it. And Chamberlain says that this was a lesson that he learned that he applied the rest of his life. And he said, how? And his father said, do it, that's how. So, his father and some have said i 've heard even heard some modern historians say, "Well, you know his father was a mean man and and things like that, but you've got to go you know they 're puritanish the, the time period. Chamberlain clearly was not offended by that, mm-hmm. and Chamberlain looks at that, and then what he does is that oratory speech now becomes a wagon stuck in a field." Mm-hmm. And so he's going to move it. He's going to move it.
2: Awesome. And
1: so we will see this again in his life. And this is one area that I admire of him. And if you're a little bit of a football fan more than me, mm-hmm. and so he is the one. And I don't know the plays. If he were a running back, right up the middle.
0: Yeah, just
1: yeah. He he's not going to fl- he's not going to waste time trying to run around you. He's yeah. going to he's going to put his head down. and He's coming at you, and that can cause problems.
0: Well, but that's his like, personality. Yeah, the old uh, the one I think of that sort of uh, was uh, Dick Buckkiss, You knew Yo, that, yeah. that name. He, but that was defensive. But yeah, so you know, just um, as we kind of start our you know way winding down here with college and seminary years, there, there are two things that stick out. You've referenced one, but when I think of Chamberlain from our conversations, uh, I, I I really sense an intense perseverance, endurance, which are biblical terms. But, you know, the two stories that stick out most are Katahdin and the story of his father telling him to figure it out. And, you know, in a lot of ways, for those of us that have had, whether it's education, jobs, marriage, you and I we are talking about that, whether well, it's things we deal with here at the school. I mean, those are indispensable, yep. um, really fruit of the spirit, right, yep. for Christians Non Christians can display perseverance and endurance, also, but for the Christians, it's a little different. And so, j- just for a minute, I don't want to get you too far left, but I, I mean that that really is the man, right? I mean, no, Chamberlain a, was the kind of guy you weren't going to beat him, you know. And, and if you were, it wasn't be, because you you lasted longer. Like he just was going to endure. You're and, not going to beat him with endurance. Yeah. You
1: you're really not. And I, and th- that might sound a little exaggeratory, uh, and I'm sure maybe somebody could have, but this is a guy. Uh, now we do we 're going to see in a later time physically because of his wounds and stuff that there are times that you could argue maybe he got worn down, but overall no you don 't beat him with endurance uh he 's perseverance endurance uh and and lovingly, I would say to be fair. New England stubbornness. Yeah, sure. He's, yeah. He's, yeah. He, he is, you know, somebody has, has said, well, he sounds like my kind of man. I said, well, he is if you agree with him. Uh, <laughs> but if you don't agree with him, he, he's going to be from the pit of hell because he's going to drive you nuts. Well, he's going to keep coming after you. Because right? he's, he's not, he's, he, and we'll find also later in life, he doesn't get intimidated because of who you are.
0: Right, yeah,
1: yeah. So you don't throw credentials.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, he will respect you, but he's not going to change his opinion. Yeah. And so those are qualities that to me uh, ring pretty
0: solid because once yeah. he makes his mind up, you you have to convince him. Yeah, and, and for those of us that have climbed, just just a very quick antidote, Katahdin. Um, if you've done any kind of hiking, you know I climbed it. Had the privilege this summer with my three daughters, and you know all of them. The youngest, the oldest, Olivia's off at of college, so the other two are still minors. So I won't use their names, just like they would with your you know grandchildren and. But the youngest, uh, I I didn't know if she was going to make it. Um, I knew she could, and I told her before. Interesting enough, very similar to this, and I, you know, just told her I said, take it bite sized pieces. And Katahdin is not like any other hike; it's a beast. And yeah. so, you know, I, I I tend to think that that, and just from what you're telling me and what little bit I've read, that and that farm story probably become the man because when I think of that that twentieth main and the whole charge there. It wasn't the most of that battle, as I understand it, wasn't the aggressiveness of um, you know of of General Chamberlain that he don't know who was in general at that point, but it was his his staunchness. But but it was the aggressiveness at the end when he finally said, "Fix bayonets," and they went down the hill. Well, again,
1: and yeah, we're laying the foundation for it. And again, the in in the rhetoric and oratory, this is a man that wouldn't move, and when he planted his feet, he was going to stand. So he, of all people, jumping ahead, he understood that. And so uh he also the sophomore year is important because he really founds his love of rhetoric and oratory. And we will yeah. visit this as we go into his professorship in more detail. Okay. I'll just kind of leave it at that. But jumping ahead, uh his junior year. Okay. Uh he he uh he gets sick.
0: Mm.
1: He gets really sick, and to this day we don't know what happened. He missed a good portion of his junior year, and he, uh, w- he was back in Brewer. Uh, according to family accounts, uh, they tried every doctor they could find, and they could not solve it. Mm. And he kept getting progressively worse, and they were really concerned about him. And what's interesting is, especially considering that there's a resurgence in this, uh, and I didn't even know it was a thing in that time period, his mother turned homeopathic.
0: Huh, no way. Huh.
1: And he responded to it.
0: Huh.
1: Now. You know, I'll just leave that there. I don't claim to be an expert in that field, but it's interesting. He didn't, he didn't respond to the mainstream science or medicine of the day. He responded to the homeopathic. And But this is where you get into the endurance and the perseverance. He has missed a good portion of his junior year, and I can't remember the timing of it. During this time, while he was ill, he was going to beat his stutter.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: So we're going to see this later in life, that when he gets sick, he doesn't lay in bed and moan and groan, he works. Hmm. And so he he would talk about that, he began to realize that when he sang, he didn't stutter. Now this doesn't work for all, I've known a few stutterers. There's a guy I worked with that was a contractor, a really nice guy, I just ran into him uh, shopping the other day and went up to the, the lumber yard. And uh, I don't know if it will work for him, but Mel Tillis comes to mind, okay? okay. He can a great singer, James Earl Jones. Yeah. is I've been told or heard accounts that uh, he's got a stutter or a stammer. stammer, uh, yet he can memorize and recite. Uh-huh. Uh, so some can overcome it. Well, Chamberlain began to realize that when he was singing, huh. he didn't stutter. And uh-huh. he had been involved in the choir, church, and things like that. So he used a French term, which I'm not going to try to say because I don't know French, but he talked about catching the wave of a breath hmm. is how he put it. Okay. And he worked with a Bowdoin professor, and uh, which they didn't really have speech professors. They had speech as in speech, but not like corrective like we do today. But they worked on it and he's described, I wish I could have heard him, as having a very interesting speaking voice that he almost, it had a cadence to it. Oh, okay. And it was not in a, uh, apparently it was in a very positive way because he came, became very immensely popular. But he goes in a sophomore year of struggling in rhetoric and oratory. Mm-hmm. In his junior year, he wins best in class. <laughs>
2: wow.
1: So this and he's sick. And he w well. It, well, and this years. is when this is when he comes back. But because during his sick years, to make the the transition clear, during his sick period, he he I said years, but during his sick period, he worked on that. Comes back to Bowdoin, and then two things: one. He was determined to catch up to his class. Mm-hmm. So again, this is the perseverance part. It wasn't good enough to graduate. He was going to catch up with it. He wanted to graduate with his class. And the second thing was he took the obstacle of his uh, last year And he raised the bar, and he wins best in class. And by this point, he would have been getting into other languages. You know, the the Romance languages. He had learned Latin. He had learned Greek. Uh, At some point, he learns Aramaic. Those are the classical, scholarly languages. So those are the the, kind of the big three. He then gets into the Romance languages. So he gets into French, German, Mm -hmm. and this is huge in his culture. Sure, especially at Bowdoin. If you're in, again, go back to ministers. Uh, poli- especially politicians, lawyers, mm-hmm. uh, language, rhetoric, and oratory, they were considered manly arts. I mean, oh. they were something that right. it was necessary to be successful huh. in, in a higher field. And uh, he also, his junior year, he meets his future bride. Oh, okay. So- well, I say meets. Uh, we uh, we might, eat, you know, if we wanted to do it, have to do, save time to do a separate section on Fanny, I don't want to our, her name was Frances Carolyn Adams. They okay. called her Fanny.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, short, she was from Boston. She was being raised by a relative in Brunswick due to income, finances, health reasons. Any very,
0: relationship to the Adams? That well, the there's, there's stories in the family
1: that she was. Okay. Uh, now, there's people who've done some genealogy work and they say, well, she was. It was a distant, it wasn't close. Because her father was very poor and the Adams Adamses, yeah, they, were they, were, very, they weren't poor. <laughs> So uh, he was on the wrong side of the tracks, if they, if they were, of mm-hmm. the Adams family. But she was raised by the Reverend George Adams. Okay. Who so. was the minister of the First Parish Church. Okay. And Chamberlain was the choir director. <laughs> and she was the organist and the piano player. I love it. Now, she is a bit of an enigma for the time, because she was, uh, had a professional training in art music in her lifetime. Right. Yeah. Very good artist, uh, accomplished Paintings were in the house. We talked about that in the in the museum. Yeah, and she is playing the piano. She's three years older than he is. Okay. Now, her freshman, he probably knew her. I say he met her her junior year, freshman and sophomore year. She's in Portland. Okay. And she's selling paintings. Oh
2: wow!
1: And she's in an artist. Right. uh, She's going to an artist school. Okay. And then selling paintings.
2: Okay.
1: That kind of a thing. My mother in law did that in her younger years down in Portland. And then she comes back uh, to the First Parish Church her junior year. Okay. And uh, it's definitely a love at first sight. Chamberlain immediately falls in love with her. And I, she, she at wonderful. least plays that she doesn't even know he's there. Yeah. Uh, but, so the, you have that budding relationship. And the other thing, historically, is he has a new theology professor Oh, that's important.
0: Okay. His
1: name was Calvin Stowe. Okay, yeah. Of Harriet Beecher Stowe fame.
0: Ah, gotcha. Uh,
1: Harriet Beecher Stowe was the wife of Dr. Calvin Stowe, who's a theology professor. And he comes up, and you'll know what this is, but I explain this in 80% of my tours. He was a professor of natural oh. and revealed religion. Right. Okay. Now, you'll know what that is. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. don't have a clue yeah. what that is. Right. Uh, and so Chamberlain is taking natural and revealed religion Okay, from Doctor Calvin Stowe, wow. which very short. Maybe you can explain it better than me. I I know what it is, but I don't know if you want to.
0: No, it's fine. You can just why don't you explain it? Because by the time I go, we'll run out of time. Okay. So. <laughs> well, very
1: simply, all it is is I, 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 my short answer is finding God in Scripture and uh, I, yeah. uh, studying God in Scripture and nature. Yeah. Uh, you know that God can be, and it would be Romans one twenty.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, would be kind of a good a good passage for that. So that's what Calvin Stowe is. Now, what's interesting is. As the relationship develops, Chamberlain and Fanny, Francis, Carol, and Adams, are having date nights <laughs> uh, his junior and senior year okay. at the Stowe House okay. on Friday and Saturday nights for a literary group.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, okay.
1: so they're reading books. Okay. So again, the academic, how many so even yep. in his day students do that? And one of the things that was being read to him before it was published was Uncle Tom's Cabin. <laughs> oh my. because she is writing Uncle Tom's Cabin in Brunswick. She received the inspiration in the First Parish Church. Those are her own words. Mm-hmm. They have a brass plate that was her family pew mm-hmm. um, in the church, and she is writing the book in her husband's office or in her study in, in the house on Federal Street in Brunswick, oh which is still there. Bowden owns it, and Chamberlain is over there, and he's writing a letter to his parents about this. And so this, in a small way, sets the stage. We'll revisit that at the Civil War,
0: but that's his exposure. So I I was just thinking, to, you know, I think you did a beautiful job describing natural revealed religion. Sort of the, it's not perfect, but kind of our modern terminology for that, I think would probably be more like... um, uh, I, I guess I'm going to say special revelation as in Correct. scripture. special in general. And then natural yeah. or general revelation, yeah. which is creation. Um, and, and sadly, it's not taught as much as it should be. And yeah. so that's, well, you know, it, it, it's bad English, but I love the saying, I done and learned me something today. So <laughs> uh, Troy is not only a good friend, but our Mr. Ancona here. So if you listen to this and you're part of the Academy, it's Mr. Ancona to you. But for the rest of the folks, uh, my good friend uh, Troy, um, uh, we we get to go to the same church and we don't share the same baseball teams, but we share a love for baseball and and a hatred for the New York Yankees, which uh, of which I have much respect for for Troy because he comes from a family that's the Yankees, all the Yankees and fans. the Cowboys. <laughs> yep. So, but we got a couple of minutes before we finish. Um, you know, maybe just for now because next time we can kind of go from uh, seminary. What's well, so next time would be like as he goes into seminary and seminary. Then- and then yeah. what is it after that? Where will we? Well, end?
1: we'll probably seminary and uh, professorship. Okay,
0: yeah, which, which, which then is kind of
1: is a, uh, professorships a brief period of time? I think I can graduate them pretty quick. We can get them through both. Yes, let's graduate them, uh, and then
0: maybe just give us a couple of brief thoughts. Then, what would be a couple of things that we can take home that we can learn from today after you yep, finish the graduation? Yep. Well,
1: too quick. So, then this one I'll try. It could be long, but I'll try to make it quick. He had he had an experience with Lisbon Falls. Uh, he. He went out with a group of the guy friends. Bowden is an all-male school back in yes. those days. So uh, it was in the wintertime, and okay. they went on a sleigh ride into Lisbon Falls, and apparently they did a little carousing and caused some problems. and oh, the, the, uh, A little ruckus noise. And uh, Bowden received a complaint. Oh, boy. Uh, and it was quite a group of boys. And Chamberlain was known to be the more reliable of the bunch. I guess they had called them all in, but the president called Chamberlain in. And Chamberlain does, so you can take this out if you want, or Chamberlain does something interesting, and he claims his father had told him this. He wouldn't rat them out. <laughs> and he was kind of threatened with some serious, uh, serious action. Uh, but, and apparently, according to the story, <laughs> at least so he claims, and I'm a high school teacher, he says he wasn't involved. That he w- he had gone with them, and this happened, and he was in the car, so to speak, when it took place. Anyway, we'll just kind of leave that one there. That one's a, kind of a fun story. So in other words, the guy, is a, he's, a, he's a human. Uh, so he was involved in that, and everything settled out. But he graduates from Bowdoin, and at the end of it, he wins Best in Class in Rhetoric and Oratory. Wow. Uh, or, I, sorry, he had won Best in Class in Rhetoric and Oratory, but he was given the honor of the Master's Oration.
0: Oh, Okay. So is that like the end? It's like graduation yeah. almost? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So okay. at the graduation ceremony, and if I've got it right, uh, I'm not positive of this, but I, I've, I've actually found uh, the, uh, the schedule of events, and it's all in Latin, mm-hmm. and he would have given his oration in Latin. Wow. Uh, and and he talks about being very nervous, and the old stammer came back, according wow. to Chamberlain. Okay. And he uh, out in the crowd. If I remember right, I think Nathaniel Hawthorne was there. There was some big prominent people. Bowden used to attract some big prominent people in his day, and he got really nervous. Uh, his father, future father-in-law, is there, and he all he said was, and maybe that was so. You get Chamberlain's impression and, and the father-in-laws. He said that he appeared to lose his place. Mm. Chamberlain said that the stammer came back, so maybe Chamberlain was feeling. Uh, I don't have a problem with the stammer, but every now and then you 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 feel it get really tight in your neck, and you can yeah. kind of see you kind of pause to recapture. Uh, but in any case, and we'll graduate him with this, and then close things up. Uh, he uh, the title of his address: the last gladiatorial show in Rome. That's the title of his address.
2: Huh, interesting.
1: Now, if you remember when he started. It's the country it's the country miles going to the city and seeing the Roman yeah. chapel, if you will, yeah. and Bowden is Rome,
2: yeah,
1: and he's the gladiator,
0: gotcha. And
1: his address. He doesn't give the address, we've lost the address, but that he was, basically, as I jokingly say, if I survived this last gladiatorial show in Rome, giving this a, in Latin. I'm out of here. <laughs> so there's a little bit of he he's got the, yeah. the, a dry humor about him, yeah. and then he graduates. I mean, to me, take the take home is you you just see. Uh, I, I look at the Bowden years; is it, it forms who he becomes, mm-hmm. and we're going to see where he goes with the seminary mm-hmm. aspect and, and his professorship uh, and his his perseverance. I mean, hitting hitting the obstacle in the oratory mm-hmm. and how he kind of blows through that. Mm. Uh, and yet, he was uh, writing to his pastor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, communicating with his family. Uh, it's clear that he had some jitters and stuff. And he wasn't perfect. He was involved in a, a sleigh ride kind of a thing. So, in other words, uh, yeah, it, to me, there's some.
0: So you know, it's interesting. I, I just uh, an antidote that goes with this. Um, the the song is very popular. As we record this. We're just getting ready to celebrate Christmas. We just had our LFCA Christmas play last night and you know, one of the most popular songs you'll hear is Jingle Bells, and a lot of people may not realize that uh, the Jingle Bells song is written in Connecticut, and uh, it literally is written um, as a dating song, and so when you think of dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, or the fields we go, laughing all the way, ha-ha, it's a couple of teenagers that are bebopping along, and so... As you were mentioning that coming to the metropolis of Lisbon Falls from Bowden, which back then was probably the sticks, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a bunch of guys they're looking for some girls or whatever, and 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 so um, just kind of an antidote, you know that that song's written probably uh, I don't remember when it was I think it was written in the 40s or 50s, but. Um, you know there's probably still some culture coming out of that and so there's just a lot that you know, I think nothing to do with general chamberlain but anyway <laughs> no
1: it, it it is and i've had the same thought because i can just picture the rural country town of lisbon falls in yeah. him and you know going going through the town and lights turning on as, yes. the, as the boys are they were probably, uh, there was never any comment about vandalism or anything like that, but they were probably just too loud. Yeah. If possible, you know, we'll just kind of leave it at that, what else was going on. And you can see the lights going on and, you know, people yelling out the windows, shut up, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, you know, as we close again, I just want to thank Troy for this time. I thoroughly enjoy it. I hope you do. You know, really, we have together two thoughts. We, we both love history. We believe that we learn a lot. Um, Troy's much better with history than I am. But I, I I'm sort of a... A mini buff, if you will. I love reading it. Um, and, and you know, I'll just put this out for anybody that listens to this. One of the things that you and I have been chasing, we have to try to get down to the Lisbon Historical Society at some point. But with General Chamberlain, because of him living during the Civil War, we've been wondering. Our church, Lisbon Falls Baptist Church, started in 1856. Yeah. And I just gave you a, a thing from 2006, a little placemat, if any of you ever want to see it. That goes to the history, and you and I were talking just the other day on I wonder if anybody from our church fought in the Civil War, and now you made me think of something else. I always wondered if Chamberlain ever visited here, I doubt it, but I suppose it's possible, but it makes me wonder like if the stoves ever came here or right. even um, you know uh, uh, who was uh, I'm forgetting her name, the other one that uh, um, he ends up dating their family. Yeah, Harry Beecher Stowe. That's yep. I, I said the right name. I was thinking of his wife, the Adams family. But it just makes you wonder because in 1856, you know, that's five years before the Civil War. Yeah, it's totally possible maybe they come up. So, so if anyone on here knows that, let us know because we're wondering. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it's something I want to. Uh, if I get time, I want to do some digging in. I do know there's Lisbon Falls Civil War veterans. So oh. the question is where they go into this church. yeah, uh, And uh, it would be kind of a fun thing to add. And Chamberlain was very well-traveled. He went yeah. all over. So at some point in time, he very well, he, it'd be fun to see if he came. Yeah. He may have haunted the halls and
0: talked about Gettysburg after the war. Who knows? Maybe he even spoke here once. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We, we may have living history we don't know about. Yeah. So, But anyway, I want to say a big thank you to you again. Uh, we'll come back. And we're hoping to do a couple more of these where maybe we'll stack a few a week or two apart. And uh, again, next time we'll come back and talk about seminary slash uh, professorship. Is that right? Yeah, Hibso- yeah. Seminary
1: the seminary is uh, uh, is an interesting period also. So yeah,
0: that's great. Any final thoughts today or? No, I I, I just think
1: if you see a theme developing, what we're going to find out is Chamlin is. A romantic, hmm. uh, in in the in not the marital sense uh, though he was, but in, in the worldly sense, his views idealist, uh, and and very uh, persevering, and a lot of this is developed in the family,
0: yeah,
1: and then it's it's fertilized, yes, in, in, at college, hmm. and it, it made him who he was, and really, that's why I always say when we're talking about it first. He's known scholar, soldier, statesman, and as somebody had said, the scholar comes uh, scholar yeah. comes first.
0: I think of that song. I don't know if it was from the seventies or the eighties, but "What a Man, What a Man, What a Mighty Good Man." And uh,
1: interesting
2: character.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, I, I think of that of Chamberlain. He's the kind of guy that, you know, it, it seems to me the more I get to know him, that I much of what he did. Um, at least in his character, I I aspire to, and I think that's a good thing. Um,
1: well, he always set a high bar. Um, he he wasn't satisfied with mediocrity. I yeah. mean, he and and I do respect him for that. He didn't, and we'll find out through his life. He didn't always achieve it, uh, but you know, to his dying day, to his credit, uh, and we'll see when we get there. Uh, he literally reminds me of Paul in Second Timothy. You know, yep. talking about bring me the scrolls, the parchments. Yep. This guy makes a similar statement later in life, hmm. and you know he's literally—he uh, didn't know at the time—just uh, a few months from passing away, yep. and he's talking about studying.
2: Wow!
1: Uh, so he—he's got a
0: passion for that, and that's that made him who he was. Awesome. Well, before we get cut off, because I think we just finished our longest podcast ever, which is great because I only get an hour. So. Thank you uh, again. For it's been it. fun. It has been fun. And uh, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. We'll come back and finish it next time. Yep. For Northeast by Midwest, I'm Jonathan Jones with Troy Ancona. Have a blessed day.